0: Well, hey, before we get into this morning's uh, sermon, I want to uh, give a plug for something very important to us here at Grace Church, and it's our prayer meeting. Every first Tuesday of the month, we gather to pray over the needs of our church and for each other. And so um, I want to invite you, personally invite you uh, to join us this Tuesday at 7 p.m. It's just an hour, but uh, man, it's it's action-packed. It's action-packed, and why I say action is because it's somewhere where you can participate, that you could use your prayer voice to pray on behalf of the people here at Grace Church and in the local community. You know, we get needs uh, sent to us, prayer requests from the community that we share in our prayer meeting. So I hope that you could join us. This month we're doing it through Zoom. So if you're interested in in, uh, tuning in, uh, you can get the link. Uh, We'll send an email out to you. We hope that you join us. If you're not part of getting emails from Grace, just go on our website and just let them know that you want the link for our prayer meeting this Tuesday night. So uh, we we can do that and gather together. I think it's so important that we get together and pray often, amen? Amen. Also. You know, we're 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 looking at December, right? Like a couple days it's December and we all know what that means, right? Christmas is coming. And it's just crazy because I believe that there's two kinds of people in the world, right? There's people who like to celebrate Christmas before Thanksgiving and then there's people, normal people like myself that <laughs> like to wait until Friday after Thanksgiving to start listening to Christmas music, and getting into the Christmas spirit. And so, uh, so I'm glad that right now there's unity in households all across America because we know there was a bit of a divide happening because of that. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so we're excited here at Grace because we're going to continue to celebrate the, the season of Christmas. And we got great things in store. Our team's working really hard to try to uh, bring all of us together, whether you're online or here in person. We're, we're, we're planning something, something amazing for this Christmas season because God is worth that. And we're excited to celebrate the the birth of our King and the wonderful gospel message that Christ came down to be like us, to be with us, so that He can give us new life. And I love that story. It never gets old to me. So I hope that you can join us during this Christmas season. But let's pray. Let's get ready to pray. Let's prepare our hearts for today's message. Father, we thank you for this opportunity, God, to already bask in your presence, God. We know, God, that as we worship you, God, You said that you inhabit the praises of your people, God, so we already know that you're with us, that you've been ministering to our hearts, So we're asking for our hearts to continue to be open to you this morning through the reading and sharing of your word. Be with us today in your holy name. Amen. Well, we are in week two of our series called Heart of Worship. I mentioned last week that this was an audible. I didn't plan on doing this, this uh, actual series, but it's been fun. I've been enjoying studying for this on, on, um, on the in-between times of the holidays, you know, just breaking away. But God's been ministering to me. So I hope you get ministered today because I know that when you have an open heart to God's word, good things happen. But we're in week two, week two. And we're talking about worship, the heart of worship, and that word worship can come up with, uh, or in our minds, there could be a lot of different ideas of worship, but I think it's the most misunderstood concept in our Christian faith, because oftentimes when you ask somebody about worship, when you talk about worship, usually it's in reference to singing and worship music, singing and worship music. Now, I would say that singing is a form of worship, but it does not define worship. We know that worship is an expression of reverence and, and adoration towards God. And if that's the definition, then many things can be referred to or defined as worship. The problem is, is that when we relate to worship and we limit worship to only worship music, only to singing, what happens is that we kind of disconnect a group of people who um, they are not really into church music. They're not really into singing out loud. And, and I've seen that in services where you get to that awkward moment where, where everybody's like joining in and you're just kind of sitting there because you're like, yeah, I just don't do this. And you kind of you just hold back. And, and, and I think that, that, that we do disservice sometimes not communicating to people well to tell them like, hey, you could worship in different ways. And this is the way we express it at times. But worship is so much more than that. But I was one of those people. I was one of those. People. I, that's how I can identify with you if you're that type of person. I remember going into church at the very beginning, and it was always an awkward moment. I was just waiting for that last song to be over. And, uh, and but I'll tell you this: I grew to become a worshipper. The more I've been with God, the more I've been walking with Jesus. I've learned to develop that. So I think that that's something that's important. And we talked about that last week about the importance of us vocally declaring and proclaiming God's goodness in song and doing it together and how that builds us up and that builds our faith. And, and there's something special that happens when we do that. I think it's important for us to learn and to grow in that area. And I, I just love the, the musical atmosphere, the, 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 when we sing together, when we, when we worship in song. I, I just love the atmosphere that, that happens. I think that there's something that happens in my heart. And, and, and I might look like I, I can carry a tune, but I can't. <laughs> But I just, I just open up, and, and my hands are lifted up, and, and, and I just get caught up in there. I love it. Because when I hear these songs, when I read the words and the lyrics, they really reflect my heart of gratitude towards God. Did you sense that today? As you were looking at these words that were picked, and you're like, wow, yeah, that's me. Like, I feel that. I identify with that. There's something in the, in the spirit of a person that, that starts to stir up when you see God's goodness on the wall, and you're declaring it in your heart. That's worship. That's worship. I love it when a song can articulate for me the awe and wonders of God's character and his attributes. I I love that. I think praise and worship music can do that for our soul. And I think it's important that we take time throughout the week, that we just don't limit it to this time and this space, but that we take time throughout the week to to worship God, to, to, to turn the music up and get loud in, in your room or, or wherever, in your car, and, and just give him the praise and the glory. Watch what happens when you learn that practice, when you put that into your life. I love that. Last week, we talked about the importance of, of, of doing that. And we also emphasized that worship is bigger than music. It's more than prayer because it involves every area of your life. Every area of your life. Worship is the posture of our hearts. That's what we talked about last week. Now, in today's passage that I'm going to share, I'm going to share one passage with you, one story with you through one of the Gospels. And when you look at this, this, this is going to be a worship service that we're going to observe. We're going to watch a worship service happen, but there's not going to be any music involved. There's not going to be any singers in the band involved. But what we're going to see is we're going to see all the elements of a heart of a worshiper of worship being expressed. So this morning's message, if you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. The Gospel of John, chapter 12. Here's the setup. This is pretty late in Jesus' ministry. It's about three and a half years of ministering to, to the regions, to the people, and gathering many disciples. Jesus is towards the end of that journey. He knows what's ahead. And this is just less than a week away from the moment that he would be hanging on a cross. That's where our story begins. John chapter 12, verse 1. It says, six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. Now, Bethany is not a person. It's a location. It's a town. Outside of Jerusalem. Jesus often stayed there when he went to Jerusalem. And there was a reason why. There was a family that lived there. It says, where Lazarus. Lazarus was the family. Lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in honor of Jesus. So a dinner was given in honor of Jesus. Now, now, this was a response to what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Jesus raised him from the dead. I mean, this is a thank you, an act of worship. That Lazarus is part of a party in honoring God. This whole family is there. Now, can you imagine what that would look like? Now, when you look at other Gospels accounts of this particular story, you find out that this this party, this dinner party happened at a guy named Simon's house who was referred to as Simon the leper. So just think about that. This guy who had leprosy was healed by Jesus, and then the guy that was dead for four days is resurrected by Jesus. Can you imagine them throwing a party for Jesus? Can you imagine what that would have been like? And it was in God in Jesus' honor. So this is Jesus' friends. This is a place that he often traveled to. So it's disciples and friends and friends of the friends. I mean, this is a big house. I think it's uh, Simon was probably a prominent guy because it was probably a house big enough. I, I've been to some house parties in my life where people are just, you have to open up the door because there's not enough room for people. I imagine it's packed. And I'm imagining that they're thinking, man, what would Jesus, what's his favorite food? And they're honoring him gathered together. And it's at this party that it says that Martha, Lazarus' sister, she served. So she's worshiping as she's serving, while Lazarus is among those reclining at the table with them. So they're hanging out, they're telling stories, they're enjoying each other's company. And it says then Mary, the other sister, took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet, and she wiped his feet with her hair. And the house, imagine this, now smell it, and the house was filled with the fragrant of the perfume. Wow. Just, just put yourself there. But there's always a but. But one of the disciples, there's a conflict here, Judas, Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. He says, Why would this, this perfume not sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but that he was a thief. And it's the keeper of the money bag. He used to keep some to himself. Wow. That's an interesting insight. But then Jesus spoke up, and he says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there, and they came. So more people try to squeeze into this house. More people try to get involved. This just tells me that this wasn't done in private. It was done in public. They were doing a public display of honoring Jesus. But people heard there was these spies from these religious leaders that were against Jesus. And so they sent some spies there. And it says they came not just because of him, meaning Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom was raised from the dead. And then they take that information of what they saw and what they experienced, and they bring it back to these religious leaders. And it says, verse 10, so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as, as well. You think they would learn. Guys die hard here, right? With Jesus on his side. It says, for on account of him, many Jews were going over to Jesus to believe in Jesus, and they let go of their religion to have a relationship with Jesus and believe in him. Now, again, imagine yourself at this party. Imagine being there across the room or sitting at the table. This guy, Lazarus, who was dead for four days. Jesus saves him and brings him back to life. And you're there watching him eat and tell stories and laugh. I mean, what an amazing moment that would have been. And let me tell you, there's a lot of worshiping happening right here in this story. I don't know if you caught it or not, but there's a lot going on, a lot of worship. So I want to give you some things, some elements of the heart of worship through this story. The first thing here is worship is our response to God, to who he is, and what he's done. Worship is a response. That is the key word. It is a response to God. It's us responding to God for who he is and what he's done. So what was that in this moment? It's the fact that he raised Lazarus from the dead. It was that he healed Simon. And probably many other people had a story about Jesus. See, worship doesn't start when the music starts. It doesn't. It's not about how I feel or what my preference of style of music is. No, worship begins with our response of who God is in our life. Worship begins with the response of who he is. Let's look at that text again. It says that, 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 that Lazarus, he lived because Jesus raised him from the dead. Remember Lazarus' story. Remember how ridiculous it sounded, right? Jesus was only 11 miles away from where Lazarus was. And news got to Jesus and said that Lazarus was terminally ill. And he it requested that Jesus come and heal him. And at this time, Jesus healed thousands of people. And so surely he would drop everything and run to his buddy. Some scholars believe that this was his relative. And they're expecting Jesus to drop everything, but Jesus doesn't do that. What does Jesus do? He stays continually doing what he's doing and stays for two extra days. Lazarus eventually dies, but he dies in faith. He dies believing in Jesus as the Messiah. That's important. But yet he died. Without Jesus coming in the way he thought, While Lazarus was dead, check this out, Jesus is something for him that he couldn't do on his own. What do I mean by that? Well, a dead person can't do anything, right? Can't say anything, can't earn anything, yet Jesus resurrects him and gives him back life without any effort on Lazarus' part. Sound familiar? The death of a loved one is awful, I know. There's many of us who have experienced that in our life. We've experienced times with loved ones in our life that just have been... At that place, and they left this earth too early for us. But imagine in that moment if, um, if there was that miraculous sign of resurrection. Imagine for a moment what it would have been like if, if there was this miracle that occurred and a person was brought back to life. How would you respond to that? How would you respond to that? I doubt that a simple thank you card from Walmart would be sufficient. I doubt that maybe just one worship set would be enough for you to convey your gratitude to God for what he's done. I want to ask you, what has Jesus done for you, and how have you responded to him? You might think, well, you know, Jesus hasn't done anything that extraordinary for me. I mean, if he did something like that, maybe I would be over the top. Hmm. You know, I got to confess to you as I was reading through this and studying, I think I have to confess to you to say that there's, I'm really good at sometimes of writing these lists. I write a list of what Jesus hasn't done for me lately. And I seem to focus too much on that list instead of looking at the list of what Jesus has already done for me. And I think that the longer I live, I think that the part that Jesus has done for me, that list is longer than this list but I get so caught up on this list, I get so caught up in looking at what Jesus hasn't done that I forget. And I'm telling you that that will mess up my worship because I believe that thankfulness and gratitude, it unlocks that heart of worship. But I get so caught up in this part, not enough of focus on this part. Because when I get in this part and I start counting my blessings and I start, that's why I love Thanksgiving because we ought to count our blessings every year, at least once a year. But when we do that, man, it just stirs something up in us to want to worship God even more, right? What has Jesus done for me? Now, if you're a Jesus follower, then you understand this. You understand that Lazarus wasn't the only person that Jesus raised from the dead. Because the Bible declares that we were all dead in our sin, that the wages of sin are death. But then the good news is this in Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were sinners, while we were far from him, while we were dead in our sins, while we couldn't do anything for ourselves, he loved us enough to come and he died for us to give us this new life. So if you have no reason to worship today, I'm giving you the, the card right now to say that you can worship all day and every day. Why? Because he's giving you new life. And that he's given us a spirit in us. His same spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead lives in you. And because of that, that should be more reason to worship him every day, any day, in any circumstances. Is That you got new life and that spirit of God is in you. Jesus has so much, has done so much for us. You know, a lot of times we just get caught up in saying, Jesus, you know, I got this, I got that, I, got, I need this, I need that. Our prayers are just full of all these lists of things that we want Jesus to do for us. And let me tell you, Jesus didn't come to save us from our everyday problems. Now, you know, here's the thing. Sometimes we've made bad decisions that cause some of our everyday problems. Jesus cares about those problems because he cares about you. But Jesus didn't come here. You might think you have some financial issues. Jesus didn't come to be the great financial planner. Yet he'll speak into your finances. He'll talk to you. He'll work through that with you and guide you through it with his wisdom He didn't come to save us from the government. He didn't come to save us from environmental issues. No, he came to be the savior of our soul. That's what he came to do. He came to save us from us, from our darkness, from our sin. He came to rescue our souls so we can worship him for the mere fact I can be done right now and walk away and feel completed to know that I gave you the message that we have every right and he has everything in us to worship him for what he's done for us and who he is the second thing is this worship is not just a response but worship is a sacrifice worship is a sacrifice because if we're really going to respond for what he's done that he rescued us from sin from death in the grave and give us new life if he really did that for us then let me tell you that when i worship him my response there will be a cost but it won't be a cost like the world knows it I'm not talking about earning something or purchasing something, but I'm talking about a cost of showing something or someone's worth. A way to express that is through sacrifice. Right? We sacrifice some things for, the, for, for people we love. To show them how much they mean to us, how, they, how, we, how much we, 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 feel, how we feel about them. We respond and we give worship to God and it will be sacrifice. In other words, there's times where our worship will not feel convenient. There's times where our worship will not be easy to conjure up or to do or to express. Look at this text. Let's see how Mary handled this. Verse 3 says, When Mary took out a pint of pure expensive perfume, she poured it out on Jesus' feet and she wiped it with her hair. Now, let's give you a little cultural context here. In that day... It was common for when you had dinner guests to come to your house, it was common for you to offer them a place where they would wash their hands and wash their feet, and then they would have this fragrant oil that would be put on their heads, and, and it was to kind of freshen them up. You got to think, this is the Middle East. It's hot. They traveled on dirt roads. When they ate, they sat low, sat close, and reclined. You could say that they were a little funky, <laughs> a little ripe at times, And so they wanted to make sure that, you know, people were kind of fresh. They they were a little, and, and, and this was the norm. This was before speed stick and body spray was invented. So this was very important, part of coming over for someone's house for dinner. But the norm, the routine was not enough for Mary. No, she's part of hosting a party for Jesus. The Jesus who's the savior of the world. The Jesus who raised her brother from the dead. now he's home and she gets to hug him again gets to hear his voice again she's so full of gratitude towards what jesus did she's like i'm not just gonna dab you a little bit i'm not just gonna wash your hands or wash your feet you deserve so much more jesus for what you did see her response so she took this she took this expensive pint of fragrant oil i got i got some oil here that that just represents that just kind of give you a visual of what a pint of this oil could have looked like. And she carries it. And the Bible says that it, is, it was worth a year's wage. Here's some Federal Way economics here. I, I, I did some research this week, and I found out that the average resident in Federal Way makes about $54,000 a year. So imagine this costing over $50,000. How do you think she'd carry How would you carry something that's $50,000? You'd be like, kids, don't touch it. <laughs> you could just look at it. Some of you guys would have it in a case. I'm sure she kept it in a safe, secure place. But yet, in the presence of Jesus, she's like, I got to go get that thing. So she grabs it. Some scholars believe that this was her inheritance. She goes to Jesus, and in the middle of this party that's honoring Jesus, worshiping Jesus, she brings out the most valuable thing she owns. She carries her most cherished possessions, her future. And she doesn't just want to come and share it with Jesus. She doesn't just take some of it and dab it on Jesus. Say, hey Jesus, I'll share this with you. You like it? You appreciate it, Jesus? Let me give you some. No, nobody else can get some. This is for Jesus. This little bit is for Jesus. No, she doesn't do that. What does does it say she does? She comes to Jesus. She just starts to pour that oil on Jesus' feet. The other translation, she put it on his head to his feet. It means that he started being covered with this fragrant, precious, extravagant oil. And she doesn't stop. And they're just looking because they know that this is $50,000 worth. And what does she do? She just doesn't waste any of it. She just pours it all out every last drop upon Jesus. that was her expression of worship to Jesus. Jesus saw her heart. Jesus knew. Yet everybody in there gasped. They were like, what a waste. To pour all that out $50,000 worth on Jesus. He only needed a little bit. She says, no, he deserves it all. You see the difference? spectators couldn't understand they're like i like jesus but i don't know if i like him like that (laughs) spectators couldn't understand they saw this as extreme they saw this as reckless how can you take a year's worth of wages how can you take your future your security and just bestow it so freely upon jesus friends it was a sacrifice it was worship I want to give you a couple of thoughts on, on, as we're talking about giving, thought it'd be appropriate to talk about giving the, when it's something that is worth something to us. And financially, I think this is important. And now, as your pastor, you got to hear my heart. Okay, I'm not after your money. Okay, but God knows that there's this, there's this, there's this, there's this connection between our money and our stuff and our things and our hearts. He does. You know, something that Misty and I, we've carried with us from our early years is that, that we were always people who brought our, our tithe to the house of God. We always brought some portion of our earnings to God and said, God, we're going to trust you. We're going to give you this, and we're going to trust you. We're going to believe. We're going to trust the principles that we've learned through scripture, and the Bible gives us principles and biblical, uh, biblical applications of how we ought to handle our money, and part of that is to give, to give. But it's not just the amount you give. It's the matter of your heart. That's why 2 Corinthians says this. Each of you should not give, or you should give what you've decided already where? From your heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here's the point number three. Worship is bringing our best, not our leftovers. Right? Now, we just got done with Thanksgiving, Right? And part of the fun of Thanksgiving is the leftovers, isn't it? <laughs> right? That's part of the fun. I love it. Sometimes it's like Thursday night, <laughs> right? <laughs> Middle of the night. Oftentimes, this is the next day. And then Saturday. But come on, it's Sunday. Some of us are ready for a switch up, Right? When it comes to giving and worshiping our attitude should be we're giving god our best we're not giving him our leftovers you know when you give unto god as you give into the place of worship you're not just giving to keep the lights on though what you give does help keep the lights on (laughs) does help with operations does help with mission both locally and globally yeah those are good reasons to give but they're not the main reason why we give no we give out of worship to god and we have an amazing business council, and we have an amazing finance director that, that she understands this. And I, I've, I've said this when I brought her in, and, and we had this principle long ago, but we're like this. We're like, you know what? Every dollar we get, every penny that we get brought into the offering, it came out of somebody's sacrifice. It came out of somebody's worship. And so we ought to handle it with the utmost care. And be good stewards and pinch every penny because we know it comes. See, it's not easy. It's not easy taking part of your wealth, part of your finances, part of your earnings, and, and, and taking it out of your household and putting it into something else. I know that's not easy. Missy and I do this, and it's hard at times. But God loves a cheerful giver. We don't give out of obligation or, or be reluctant, but we give with an open heart. And let me tell you, it's kind of cool now that we have, like, this system now where we could do, re- you know, uh, uh, just takes it out at the beginning, right? It's really helpful for me because <laughs> before we had that technology, I would forget sometimes, and I would start spending some of that money, and then it became hard for me to, like, grab it and give my 10% to God. And I would, I would, I would struggle with it, and all of a sudden, I would be reluctant, and I would do that obligation. God checked my heart and says, no. See, when I talk about giving God my best, I mean I'm giving God my first fruits. I'm giving God the first. And then I live off the rest. And I've been doing that on the lean times, and I've seen God's faithfulness to help us provide, and then I do it in the plentiful times. And I've seen God be faithful and provide. I've tested it, and I've seen that the Lord is good, that the Lord honors that, as I trust him, and as an act of worship. I give it's an act of worship to our household and we do this we do this because we want to give God our best and we do this because we want to be generous people we want to be generous people it's interesting that when you look at ancient cultures right God would instruct his people when it comes to finances and he would tell them you ought to give you ought to save and you ought to not live outside your means isn't that crazy for an ancient culture to have these principles but it all came from the word of God the same word of God that we read. So God does talk about that. Proverbs 3, 9, 10 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruit of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vass will be bursting with wine. Now here's the thing. Hear my heart, guys. Again, I'm not after your money. I just want you to grow in this area. Now, if you're not there yet, that's okay. But work towards that because you're robbing yourself from what you could experience as you give with a cheerful heart you give with an open hand you give as an act of worship okay there's a difference and as you grow in worship and as you grow in faith let that grow with you if you don't trust me if you don't believe me if this is a struggle for you do the research yourself and look at the principle of the tithe all right and then we can talk about it but do it yourself do your research look it up there's a lot in there <laughs> but this is what's important is that God knows that that if we address this, if we, because here's the thing, when we give this way, it loosens our grip on money, and it loses its grip on us. That's what I've learned. How do you know? Some of us are, it's wound up real tight. (laughs) It's all we think about, especially this time of year. We get consumed by it. It's got a grip on us, but when we give it to God, when we give it with an open heart, when we trust him, and what happens is it starts to loosen its grip and its power on us because we get to put it in its place and we're saying God's first and you work for me, money. There's an old proverb that says that, that money, it, it makes a good servant, but it makes a terrible master. Wow. That's why Jesus says you can't serve God and money. Wow. And as we give with a grateful heart, when we give with a cheerful heart, when we give trusting in God as we give, it loosens its grip on our hearts. Here's the reality. People, I think you'll never miss money that you give. You'll only miss money that you mismanaged, that you bought on silly stuff, and that you gambled away. But you won't I don't think Mary's up in heaven right now saying, Man, I wish I would have saved half of that jar. I don't think she's up there saying that. See, here's the thing is that I've been to many funerals. Because I'm a pastor. And when I hear people talk about the people in their life, they, they don't always remember what that person had. They always remember what they gave. You'll be remember more what you give than what you have. And I think that's important because God understands how you give and you give with a cheerful heart. It matters, especially when you give towards God's kingdom, God's kingdom. So when we worship, it's a response. And our response is, will be a sacrifice, and that sacrifice will cost us something, and that will be hard. It might be your time. It might be your energy. It might be your finances, and it's going to be hard. Why? Because it's a sacrifice. A lifestyle of worship that doesn't cost you something is not real worship. You hear that? If worship doesn't cause you to live differently and change your lifestyle, then it's not biblically fit for a king. I know, wow, we can all work in areas like this, right? This is something I need to grow in as well. King David, right? We know King David. He was known as a man after God's own heart. He was known as a worshiper, not just because he wrote all these amazing psalms, but because he was a man who understood how to worship God. And you know, when he, there was a time in his life where somebody um, uh, wanted to, to, to provide a offering for him to worship God with. And he says, hey, I'll cover you. And he stopped him. And this is what King David said, 2 Samuel 24, 24. It says, no, the king replied, I must insist in praying you, for I will not offer the Lord my burnt offering that costs me nothing. Wow. That is the heart of worship. Sacrifice is an expression of love and devotion. Here's another thing we learned from Mary. Worship will be perceived as wasteful. I know, this one's like the one I really didn't like. I want the applause and I want the pats on the back. That's wrong. It will look wasteful to other people. It would be like, I don't get it. They're gonna, there's going to be people in your life, coworkers, family. Why do you, do, why do you go to church all the time? Why, why, do you give all, why, why do you do that? I mean, come on, the economy, do you know? Yeah, you know they're all going to have their opinions. There's going to be time where they're going to say, man, that just seems like you're wasting your time. That's wasting things. Shouldn't I go to other things? Well, if God gets my best, people may not understand that. I mean, that's what happens in this passage, right? Mary comes out with this expensive oil, $50,000 worth of it, and she pours it on Jesus, right? And what does it say? Who had a problem with it? Jesus' disciples had a problem with it. His close guys, not the Pharisees, not the religious leaders. It was his closest circle that had a problem with that. And they said, this is wasteful. What is she doing? This should be uh, uh, sent to something else or done for something else. Now, we know Judas's motive, don't we? Money had a grip on him. You know what's interesting about him? Is that just a few days after this moment, he actually sells out Jesus. He betrays Jesus for what? Money. 30 pieces of silver. I did some research. You know what that would have looked like? And the value of that in U.S. dollars, it would have been a hundred, or $216 is what he betrayed Jesus for. Yet he criticized her to give her gift of bestowing her own $50,000 worth of oil upon Jesus. And he had a problem with that? There's another translation. Mark gives us another glimpse of the same picture. And it tells us this. It says that they, they rebuked her harshly. She got insulted by what she did in front of Jesus. But let me tell you, Jesus would not will not be silent when somebody insults your worship. Jesus spoke up. He said this. This is in Mark 14, 16, or 6. This is the same story. Jesus says, leave her alone. I believe he said that loud. I mean, remember, everybody's watching. There's a bunch of people here. Why are you bothering her? She has done something beautiful for me. Let me tell you, when you worship, it's never a waste. So don't waste any time of, and any opportunity to worship God. Okay. Worship is applauded by God god sees that i want you to remember that jesus says this is a beautiful thing that you've done for me so next time you're sacrificing next time you're giving next time you're serving for god next time you're worshiping god and other people would criticize you for it not understand you and it starts to hit in your head and get into your heart you need to stop it and remember that jesus is looking down and he sees your heart and he says you're doing a beautiful thing to me because i know where it's coming from i know what this all means And then he says this, he says, truly I tell you, for wherever the gospel is preached, wherever my story is talked about, life, death, and resurrection, listen to this, throughout the world, what she has done for me will be told in memory of her. Wow. 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 the worship team helped me out. I'm going to land the ship here. I got one last point. It's really important. It's really powerful for me. I hope it is for you. Worship results in spiritual insight. Worship results in spiritual insight. How many of you know you can't outgive God? Yeah. Hey. See, there's an exchange that happens when we worship, right? I mean, when we were away from God, we want nothing to do with God. when we were dead, He responded to us in our deadness, right? And he responded to us in our need. And then we respond to him in worship because of what he's done for us. And then God responds back again. I mean, there's this this exchange going back and forth. And what does he do? How does he respond? The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. So when we worship him for who he is and what he's done, he brings his presence and manifests himself in so many miraculous ways, so many wonderful ways. When we're in a worshipful heart experience, man, it changes us. The room changes, the atmosphere changes. It does something to us. We get this, this insight, this spiritual discernment, the spiritual wisdom, all these gifts are displayed. I mean, it's so much. God overwhelms us with his goodness, doesn't he? And a lot of times that happens in an atmosphere of worship where your heart is open to Him. I mean, I love it. That's why it's so important for us to continue to have that lifestyle and that open opportunities to worship as often as we can. But what I, I thought that was interesting here is that back in verse 7, he says this. He says that her gift, her act of worship was intended that she should save it for my burial. What does that mean? Well... Some theologians, they argue whether or not she knew what she was doing. I mean, was this just an emotional reaction? Would some people think that worship is just an emotional reaction? Or was it planned on purpose? Was she really holding it back? We might not ever know, but Jesus alludes to this being a planned and intentional act of worship. Now here's the thing. I know Mary might have not fully understood what it all meant. I, I believe that. But I do believe also that she was also given some spiritual insight on what to do and how to do it in the moment as she's got a heart full of worship, that she just decides to do this. And the Holy Spirit was leading her into this because he knew he was preparing her for this gift this whole time. Has that ever happened to you in worship? You get the spiritual insight. Now, Jesus told his disciples several times that he was going to die. He says, I'm going to be handed over and I'm going to die But it won't be over because I'm going to also resurrect three days later. Jesus said this three times to his disciples in the same week. Yet for some reason, in that moment, they were oblivious to it. They forgot whether they were in denial or they just couldn't wrap their heads around it yet. She's in the same room. She's listening to Jesus give those same instructions. And maybe in the act of worship, maybe when she's in that room and she's seeing everybody celebrate, everybody get caught up in the moment and be oblivious, maybe she gazed at Jesus's face and she saw and noticed that there's something. She knew Jesus so well that she might have just been tuning into Jesus and she knew that Jesus is looking around and he knows just days from now he's going to have to suffer on the cross. He's going to have to bear the sins of the world upon him. And maybe he had a heavy heart and she knew it. She had this spiritual insight that his heart was heavy. And She tuned into that. And maybe she just decided herself as she saw. Maybe she recognized and realized what he was doing and why he had to do it. And maybe she thought in her mind, I just, just me thinking out loud, maybe she thought in her mind, she said, man, here's the guy, here's the Messiah, here's the one that would come and that he would pour out every ounce of blood to save me from my sins. He would pour it all out for the world. He would pour it all out for me. The, 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 the best way I can respond is to pour everything out for him. Everything. I don't think that, bar, that jar of oil was the only thing she poured out on Jesus that day. I think she poured out her soul. I think she poured out her life. I think she poured out everything in her to say, that's the best way I could respond to you, Jesus, is to pour everything out on you. Here's the most fascinating part for me. This oil, part of the usage of it was part of the debarment of, of, of a deceased body. And that's what they used. Why? Because they had to have something so potent that it would overpower the stench of death. And so they would usually take some oil like this and they would pour it all on the body. Now, we know this in the story of Easter, right? Why did the women go to the tomb that Easter morning to prepare Jesus' body for burial, to bring the spices, to bring the oils, to help cover him and prepare him for death? Yet Jesus never got that. Why? Because he resurrected, right? But also because he was already prepared for his death through her act of worship. Here's the thing I thought about this week and it just blew my mind. When you get oil on yourself, it absorbs, doesn't it? This type of oil was so rare, so good, so high quality. I mean, $50,000 was just a little bit that it was good at absorbing and staying on your body for weeks, maybe months when you put it on your skin. Just absorb. She she poured it all on Jesus' head she poured it on his feet. She, it was on his clothes. Jesus was saturated with this. Jesus had this all on him. And could it be, could it be that just days later, I mean, people, they didn't have baths and showers and washers. You know, he had this aroma upon him all week. And I could just imagine that on the cross, he's on the cross and he's still permeating with that aroma of that perfume, that aroma of worship that was on it. This was the only gift that he was able to bring on the cross with him as he's up there. It was her worship, that aroma of worship that Jesus had on him as he was sitting there looking at heaven, getting ready to give the ultimate sacrifice. And yet it was the aroma of worship that he carried. That's how valuable worship is to That's how powerful these moments are. Can you stand to your feet? That blew my mind. (laughs) That was a bonus. But hopefully there was a picture there. Worship is never a waste to God. Worship is never a waste to God. Some, Some of you have to say that out loud. Worship is never a waste to God. He takes it all. cherishes it all. As much as we would cherish $50,000 worth of something in our hands, God takes the worship from a believer's heart from you and I and he cherishes it as well. It speaks to his soul. It blesses him because he understands what it is. So right now if you're watching online take a moment to pause. Take a moment to pray. Take a moment to have a moment of silence for your own heart to be quieted down so that you could respond in the most appropriate way. For some, it might be getting on your knees. For others, it might just be turning everything off and just praying for the first time in a long time and saying, Jesus, thank you. For you in this room, maybe it's the same thing, but maybe right now you just need to lift up hands and you need to acknowledge that he is the king of kings, that he is worthy, and that you want to just give him your worship. You say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, thank you. I want to know you that way. I want to be so in tune with you that I just have that that moment where I could just be close to you in such a way. The only way we can get there is through the vehicle of worship. So will you challenge yourself? Will you commit yourself to being a worshiper of Jesus every day, every day of your life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For your holy word, we thank you, God, and what it brings to our lives, God, as we receive it. God, I pray that your word will go out into every heart, God, that's watching and listening right now, God, and it just lands on good soil, that it teaches us to grow in this area of worship, that there is so much more depth in it, God, than I could ever imagine, God, but I want to take that journey. So I pray for anyone here that's saying, God, this is it. I'm going to be challenged by this, and I'm going to move forward, and I'm going to make worship a priority. So what area do you want me to start first? Hopefully, there's some bold people this morning that can make that decision for themselves. Holy Spirit, we say yes and amen to you. Give us the grace. Help us, encourage us as we do this, because for some of us, it's a very big step. So God, I just pray that over every heart right now, that they put their focus on you, that you say, God, if I give it to you, if I give it all to you, God, if I open my heart in every way, God, you will receive it. And I will be blessed love you, God. We thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Come on, let's give God a praise clap. You can put emoji claps on there. You can put whatever you want on there. Praise God. Amen. All those things work. We want to give God the glory. I hope you have a wonderful week. Get ready because Christmas is coming and we're excited for that. So God bless you. Remember, Tuesday night, we're going to have a time of prayer find the Zoom link. We'd love to to be in there with you guys. Join us for that. We love you. God bless. Have a wonderful week.